Welcome everyone to Wellness Spring. Today I'm super excited because my guest is Dr. Kevin Todes, who is actually my periodontist. And I was blessed to meet him over 20 years ago when I was actually a sports massage therapist and I got asked to give a talk to a group of dentists and oral specialists and I was fortunate to meet him there. So um, yeah, without further ado, I'll dive into the bio. So Dr. Kevin Todes graduated with a BDS from the University of Witwatersrand in 1988 in Johannesburg, South Africa. He completed his speciality training in 1994, attaining his Master of Dentistry in the field of periodontics and oral medicine. He is a fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Dental Surgeons in the speciality stream of periodontics, and he's currently um, working in a private practice in Macquarie Street, Sydney, very prestigious area and his office is amazing and his staff is amazing and he is super busy. It's like 7.30 in the morning now and he's having this chat with me before he starts his case and it's actually a day off but with all the lockdowns and COVID and various other problems he's had to do a lot of catch-up work. So he's working super, super busy. And I know from past experience, when I've seen him as a client 20 years ago, he was just as busy then. So his um, function, well, his speciality is periodontal disease and implant dentistry. And he has a special interest, I believe, in aesthetic and functional soft tissue management of gingival recession around dental implants. So before we delve into that, could you please tell our listeners about your background, like where you grew up, your family, is anybody else a dentist, your siblings, uh, just so you can get a feel of you, because Anybody can read up about periodontal and what it is, but we'd like to get to the nitty gritty and find out who you are. Baby, well, thank you very much for inviting me and for uh, raising this set uh, this morning. Um, yes, I'm originally uh, from South Africa, been in Australia for the last 25 odd years. Um, I grew up on a farm. My family were all farmers. Um, my grandparents were East, uh, from Eastern Europe and from the UK, so that's my mix. Uh, grew up on the farm, went to boarding school, did my secondary, primary and secondary education in Johannesburg, followed by my dental degree. And at that stage, we had to do national service uh, in South Africa, so I was uh, sent to the Navy as a dentist. Uh, spent my time uh, as a dentist in, in the Navy, and after completing that, I uh, then specialised. was in practice in Johannesburg for a few years, and then immigrated uh, 
to Australia and have been in the same practice ever since. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that about you. Um, going to growing up on a farm. What was that like? Oh, it was terrific. Uh, freedom. Uh, I mean, they're able to ride horses from age five, do all the things, uh, hunting and fishing and uh, being in the outdoors was terrific. And that was really my first love is that I wanted a farm. And uh, when I went to my dad, he said, no, go and study something, whatever <laughs> you do, and then, and then you can farm. And I went and I did dentistry and I came back and I said, I'm now ready to farm. And he said, we'll go and specialise and then come back. Wow. And that was the end. Wow, he was a very good influencer on you then. It's, and um, what was it like in the military? I didn't realise you had to do compulsory military. Uh, for us, it was really very straightforward and we worked in our professions and going into the military at about 23, 24 years of age was uh, a different experience to people having just going in after school. So we were treated differently. We all did officer's course, so a very simplified, very abridged version. Um, so it was relatively straightforward and uh, yeah, we had a good time. Oh, fantastic. And um, what about your children? You know, what advice have you given them? Um, really just the how important education is. And, uh, and really, that's, that's really the, um, our, our focus, my wife and myself. My wife's a psychoanalyst, and uh, we've both been through it, and, uh, and that's really our drive. But they've got to do what they, they want to and what their passion is, and they've got to move forward with that. Yeah, that's great. No, I was curious because your father wouldn't let you work on the land because at the moment, Brian and I are traveling around Australia looking for land because it's always been my um, wish to have land in France and land here to do retreats. And um, I just love being in nature and, you know, being having that freedom. But, you know, with all, the way the world is at the moment, um, different restrictions, I was just wondering because a lot of parents want their children to follow in their footsteps. So I was just wondering what you'd advise them, but it's good that you're giving that freedom to um, choose what they really want to do. So um, could you tell us, because I know a lot of the listeners will be thinking, what is periodontist, you know, can you tell us what your, the work it is what, and um, why people come to you? Sure. So periodontic, so peri means around, odon, the tooth. So we really deal with all the structures around the teeth, about the soft tissue and the bone support. Our primary role is dealing with periodontal disease, which does affect a large percentage of the population. Uh, roughly about 47% of the population do struggle uh, with this disease to some degree. Um, so that's our major drive is really uh, dealing and treating periodontal disease and then really trying to maintain the people uh, in a state of remission or health. Uh, we have other functions as well and that's dealing with uh, 
soft tissue defects around the teeth and both round implants. We're involved in implant surgery as well and all the adjunct procedures uh, related to that. Um, and how do people know, because I was horrified when um, Dr. Jerry Moses, who was treating me at the time, told me that I needed to come and see you because I was religiously um, seeing dentists, which I've always done since I was um, a child, because I grew up with ingrowing teeth, impacted teeth, crooked teeth. So I was like back and forth, the dentist having various work done on my teeth. Um, so I was horrified because I wasn't in pain. I hadn't noticed any bleeding gums. So how would one know that you need to see a periodontist? Sure. So I think first thing is really um, certain signs, for example, uh, bleeding on brushing. Uh, that's a big sign. Uh, gaps developing between one's teeth, uh, increased sensitivity uh, around the teeth, um, difficulty in chewing. Uh, those would be the initial signs. I think it's also prudent to speak to one's family, uh, to one's parents, and find out whether there's been any familial history uh, of periodontal disease, etc. But the biggest thing is really noticing bleeding on brushing, a bad taste developing, a bad breath, uh, gaps between the teeth, etc. Right. Movement of would be the, the would be the initial signs. And do you have to be referred by dentists or can someone just bring you up and book in? No, generally uh, one can just ring up and book in. We do like to be able to then communicate with the patient's uh, restorative dentist because there's certain things that we would like them to do. And in essence, it's really co-management in keeping someone dentally healthy. Um, so cooperation between dentist and periodontist and the hygienist or the oral health therapist is really important uh, and working as a team. Uh, to keep the patient really densely healthy and, and in turn systemically healthy because it does contribute to one's general health. Great. And I know you see um, children as well. What, what, what um, would they be presenting with the same symptoms or what would you be doing? Because obviously they're going to have baby teeth or milk teeth or whatever they call them today. Sure, so I think that's a very good question, is that um, kids generally, um, there are a very small percentage of kids that are at risk of a particular type of periodontal disease, but not very common. Most kids we see are for elective procedures, for example, patients undergoing orthodontic treatment where uh, they have impacted teeth, where we need to surgically expose them to facilitate the orthodontics, or um, anchor plates. Where when I had orthodontics as a teenager, we used to wear headgear, all those big frames around us to achieve anchorage. But nowadays, orthodontics are, are so advanced that we can use small bone plates that we place 
uh, within the jaw itself uh, to help with the anchorage. So we're involved in those procedures. So that's majority of the procedures that we do with kids as opposed to disease in adults. Wow. Oh my God. Did you get a lot of bullying wearing all that headgear? Yes. <laughs> Compliance was always difficult. <laughs> and um, I was chatting to a friend in America because I didn't have my orthodontic treatment until I was in my 30s, so probably a lot younger because I know a lot of um, children start when they're about 13. But I know Dr. Derek Mahoney, um, an orthodontist here in Sydney, he recommends um, seeing children for, from seven years old and he sees extractions as the last resort. And he gets people because a lot of people are mouth breathers and they, they're usually the ones who have the symptoms I described, like with overcrowding and um, um, but jaw badly aligned, so receding jaw and high roof and high palate and suffer with sinusitis or bronchitis and respiratory disease. So um, do you notice that a lot of mouth breathers come to you, for example? Yes, so within our speciality, um, mouth breathing, the biggest sign that we see with that is really some marginal inflammation of the anterior dentition, the soft tissue around that, because as mouth breathers, as they breathe in the air, it dries out that anterior part of the mouth uh, and dental plaques uh, adheres to the teeth a lot easier. Uh, so they end up with marginal inflammation. And a lot of mouth breathers, you see a distinct difference between the anterior dentition, the soft tissue around the anterior dentition versus the posterior dentition. And that really, from a periodontal point of view, is our contribution with regard to mouth breathing. Right. Um, did you do you then give them advice on how to nasal breathe? No, no, I don't. Okay. Well, maybe I can give you some tips. Because yeah. <laughs> oh, I teach a lot of children and adults um, the Buteco method, which is scientifically been proven to help people to. Um, switch from dysfunctional breathing, as we call it, the oral breathing to nasal breathing. Um, I was talking recently to a friend in America about um, our chat, and um, she was telling me that when she took her child to um, a periodontist, they actually showed a model of the teeth and explained to the child what they were going to be doing, because I know when I, over the years when I've been to different people, it was quite, you know, alarming when you hear them poking your teeth. I know you're probing and saying um, number six, this, that, or the other, number seven, pocket bleeding, blah, blah, blah. Do, do you have um, a model that you show to children and adults? that, you know, the um, shape of the teeth and how the gums sink and how you can, the bone can be ex exposed and the nerves or what would be a typical consultation for you? Sure. 
So um, hard works is when a patient would come in, we would take really a detailed history, what the patient's concerns were, whether the patient was having any difficulties from their perspective. Uh, we get a familial history, a medical history. Uh, we would then do a clinical examination. And following that, I would really go through in detail with them diagrammatically. We have software programs today that are very descriptive. Uh, and uh, I'd run through it with them exactly what we did, what the indices meant, how we interpret them. And that really brings the patient on board as they're part of the diagnostics and they're with us. And I think that's modern practice is that we need to bring the patient on board with exactly what we're attempting to do, what our thought processes are. Um, and then ultimately when we plan the treatment is really for the patient to understand why they're coming in and what each appointment involves and what we are trying to achieve, what our objectives are. Also important to actually show them in their own mouths uh, what's happening and to point it out to them. As I said, a very personal thing and uh, they need to see that. Yeah. So a combination of... I know, I was very happy with your service and um, obviously with my bone loss and, you know, with the gums receding, it was good to that you explained to me with my large pockets um, why I needed to um, have the deep cleaning every four months, you know, with a dentist twice and then with you. So, you know, it's like long-term planning as well. Um, can you explain about the work with the, um, um, the bone grafts and the implants and what you do for that and why it's needed, please? Sure. So I think that we need to really understand what periodontal disease is to start um, and what's called the pathogenesis, which really just means the process of what's happening. So. Uh, we all, from the day we're born, all harbour bacteria uh, in our mouths. And these bacteria are resident on the tongue, the floor of the mouth, the tonsil area, etc. And in a percentage of patients that carry these particular group of bacteria that causes periodontal disease, when they accumulate around the teeth and they are not removed, patients unable to remove it, patients' home care, is not appropriate. And when they build up uh, around the teeth beyond and go below the gum level and build beyond the threshold, for that individual patient, the body responds with an over-exuberant inflammatory and immune response. And that inflammatory response starts to destroy the attachment. That's both the soft tissue attachment and the bone attachment. And that's when we start to see these pockets develop. When the bone is lost, there's certain patterns of bone loss, both horizontal and vertical or angular bone loss. And in areas of angular bone loss or in some of the which are multi-rooted, when they start to lose bone in between the roots called the interradicular area, they create a certain morphology 
of defect. And a lot of the time, these defects are conducive to a reconstructive approach. And nowadays, we use a number of biologics to aid us in reconstructing those areas. For example, there's a product called Endogame, which really mimics the uh, normal development of teeth and the periodontal structures. So we use that in attempting to regenerate uh, that lost bone. And that's really where the bone grafts, that, those modalities fit into the management of periodontal disease. Wow. I know you're always studying and doing research and you lecture everywhere. So it's great that you you um, are able to pass on your wisdom to the younger dentists and the older ones as well. So very grateful for that. Um, what type of things do you lecture about in general? Uh, well, I have a, a passion in, in soft tissue management. So uh, um, I like to lecture on that and, um, and pass that information. Um, so that's predominantly... Uh, what I enjoy about or teaching, and a microsurgeon, which really where where modern periodontics is at the moment. At the moment. Fantastic. And um, besides um, having gum disease, as you know, I work a lot with women. Um, can hormones, for example, affect your gums, or any other things affect your gums? Most definitely. So with women um, with estrogen and progesterone changing at different times and, for example, during pregnancy, etc., we definitely do see that certain people uh, have certain heightened reactions at those times because we find that on the soft tissues, the gingival tissues, there's certain receptor sites um, and we estrogen progesterone has effect and that can modify or exacerbate an underlying condition um, and that really is where nowadays we know systemic uh, disease and periodontal disease are interlinked uh, for example diabetes and periodontal disease there's a double-edged sword uh, whereby we know that the periodontal condition uh, is not well managed uh, people do struggle a little bit more getting their diabetic situation under control. And in patients where the diabetic uh, control is poor, uh, we do see a more of a struggle uh, to control periodontal disease. Uh, it definitely links to uh, atherosclerosis uh, and periodontal disease. We see common entities with inflammation and damage to what we call the endothelial cells, which are the cells lining the blood vessels. And there's been some documentation uh, with preterm low birth weight and uncontrolled periodontal disease, um, rheumatoid arthritis and periodontal disease. Uh, certain respiratory conditions and periodontal disease. So there's definitely uh, a link. And um, the, the issue with periodontal disease is that it does increase the inflammatory burden uh, to the patient. So the inflammatory markers and that are heightened. So in essence, really, it's a matter of controlling the disease, reducing inflammation. Right, thank you. And is there anything we can do to prevent periodontal disease? I know one time in France, 
um, uh, periodontist told me I'd been overbrushing or thought I might have been overbrushing. Sure. So, so in essence, there's really two things that every individual should be doing, and that's brushing at least every 12 hours uh, and uh, with majority teeth in place, let's say, uh, excluding the wisdom teeth, let's say 28 teeth, uh, one should be spending at least two minutes per cycle uh, in brushing uh, and also then interdental cleaning. And whether that's using uh, interdental brushes, using dental floss, interdental sticks, but some aid. And that's really the most important uh, aspect. And as long as a patient from a hygiene point of view is doing those two things, that's really the most important. Uh, mouth rinses have very limited benefit as they don't penetrate into the tissues, et cetera. Um, all the other adjuncts like water jets and water picks and um, air flosses are okay as adjuncts, but don't replace the primary uh, aids, which is the floss, interdental brushes, and just the conventional brushing where the ones using uh, motorized toothbrush uh, or a manual toothbrush. Um, sure, overbrushing is a problem, as you mentioned, um, and care needs to be taken that the appropriate technique is used um, and in getting the job done uh, without damaging the tissues. Yeah, I think what he probably meant I was too aggressive because he also asked me if I ate crusty bread because the bread can cut into the gums as well. Um, yes, yeah, so there are certain conditions as well in the mouth that make one more susceptible. Patients that suffer from oral lichen plainness, different oral, oral medicine conditions that do make the tissues a little bit more friable. That just means a little bit more delicate and they're more susceptible then uh, to uh, trauma. Great. Well, I want to thank you for all your wonderful advice. And I know you have to rush off to surgery. Um, so I'll put all your details here and maybe we can talk again down the track because I still have a long list of questions to ask you. So thank you so much, dear Dr. Kevin Todis, for your precious time today and your wonderful words of wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the talk. Happy to come back and talk at any stage. So thank you again for inviting me. Great, thank you. Okay, take care. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. Thank you.